Welcome to Hedging the Bet with Handwork and Rec, where we dive deep into collegiate sports betting. This topic has become a hot-button issue in the new day of NIL, revenue sharing, conference alignment, and gambling. We pick the most highly anticipated college sports games each week, share insights, and analyze statistics before revealing where we stand. Let's get this underway. Hedging the Bet is coming to you next from the Impact Sports Studio. Welcome back to Hedging the Bet with Handwork and Rack. Judd's absent again. Yeah, so Judd's we'll absent again. Off the, so, the intro. Yeah, JB's not here today. We miss him. Hopefully, we can get him back next week. Uh, we are in the final two weeks of the school year. We are at the finish line, and we got our final two episodes from the Impact Sports Studio here today and next week as well before we move to a, another system. And we're going to start with the Colorado Spring Game. Over 40,000 people were in attendance for Colorado Spring Game to see new head coach Deion Sanders and the Colorado Buffaloes play, which was the largest attended spring game in Colorado history. So let's just get right into it. B-Rec, what were your thoughts about the Colorado Spring Game, and what can we expect from this Colorado team in the first year under the helm of Deion Sanders? Well, I loved the way that the Spring Game was covered I loved the way that it was broadcasted. It was the only spring game that aired on ESPN, or as our friend Chris Fowler called it, the mothership. So that was cool. I was very impressed by that. I think that that Colorado and the Buffalo faithful showed out despite frigid temperatures. It was under freezing. I thought that this game nearly was not played, actually, because of the conditions. There were three inches of, of snow covering the entire field the morning of the game. And they had to undergo a serious, serious turnaround. And workaholics on that grounds crew helped to clean off the field. So the fact that 47,500 people showed up, even so, okay, making it the eighth largest attended spring game of all time uh, anywhere. That's including the, the Southeastern Conference schools like Georgia, Alabama, even Penn State had one that was like 75,000. Those are just impossible to top. But given that it's Folsom Field in Boulder, Colorado, where last year they had 11,000 people there, the fact that there were 47,000 is just unfathomable and uh, they looked good too they really did Shadur Sanders 16 of 19 for 234 and three touchdowns with a touchdown running so he energized the crowd I know um I know that Darrell was there the uh the past Heisman Trophy winner for the Buffaloes that was cool to see I know that there were a ton of, of graduates and alumni in attendance. I know that their season tickets are sold out for this season already, which is just blasphemous that that's happened. And uh, Dylan Edwards looked good, the Notre Dame um, recruit who flipped to Colorado. But um, there is a dark side to this whole story. First, though, I want to hear what you thought about it. Yeah, I thought it was pretty good. Um, 
just amazing the way that they showed out, especially when you look at the fact of what kind of season they had last year. They go 1-11. in They're one of the worst teams in all of college football. They lost to Air Force by like, I think it was like 41-10 to or something yeah, like that. Yeah, it was a 31-point loss. Yeah, yeah, and that's just unbelievable. So that Colorado team, they hit rock bottom, and you mentioned uh, like looking at pictures of last year's uh, spring game to uh, this year's. It's truly remarkable in the way that Deion Sanders has been able to um, re- revitalize that uh, program, and there's a belief now in that program, a belief that hasn't really been there in a couple of years. I know they had a good year in 2016. That was their one good year. But other than that, Colorado football has not really been to the same places that they were probably since like the early 2000s and uh, 1990s when they had a really good team as well. Um, so, yeah, I'm excited to see what Deion Sanders can do in his first year at Colorado. I think they'll be one of the biggest stories in all of college football next year. They got a big game uh, week one against TCU, which should be very exciting. Um, but, yeah, and then there have been revelations. Um, 19 players from Colorado have entered the transfer portal since the spring game. So what do you make of that? Uh, well, actually, before we get there, there were a couple other things I wanted to mention. Okay. Um, and, like, really they go hand in hand with what you were saying about the exodus we've seen. But um, what's what's interesting to me is that Dion Sanders has brought an energy and an enthusiasm around the program that makes it both widely known from the standpoint of he's built the slogan of I ain't too hard to find, right? Which I think, if I'm reading into this correctly, is an homage to Tupac, who had a song that was ain't ain't hard to find. Um but then on the other side, he has gone on record and, and is videotaped in a meeting declaring, I'm bringing, or in the press conference, in his introductory press conference, he said something to the effect of, I'm bringing my baggage and it's Louie, which was to say that he is bringing in guys and there's still roster turnover and there will be until, by the way, that September matchup against TCU in Fort Worth. So what we saw on the field with Colorado was not the team we're going to see. And we knew that going in. But then by Monday, because this occurred on Saturday, right? By Monday, 19 players, as you say, were mad dashing to the portal. One of them, and this the biggest one, being their leading receiver from last year, Montana Lemonius Craig, who, by the way, was was favored and blessed by Robert Griffin III when they were doing when Fowler and RG three were doing their on field announcement and call of this spring game. Lemonius Craig had three receptions for hundred and fifty four yards and two touchdowns in the spring game. <laughs> it doesn't get much better. So I think it's it's interesting because. Sanders has come out and said, if you're going to jump in the portal, then use my introduction to this program and my attention I bring to you and my resources I give you as a method to get better fast and then show colleges what you're about and then go because that's when you'll have your best chance. And it looks like Lamonius Craig did that because he was feasting out there. 
But listen to this list. Montana Limonius Craig. Jordan Tyson. Grant Page. Chase Sowell. Jackson Anderson. Alex Harkey. Aaron Austin. Jason Oliver. Aubrey Smith. Xavier Smith. Oki Salavai. Shakon Bowser. Devin Grant. Tyran Taylor. As well as... Wait, we mentioned Grant. No, there's someone I'm missing here. Somebody with the last name Davis, but that's the 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 last one. Uh, can't even find his first name on this article from Sports Illustrated. Weird, but nevertheless, it's unbelievable. And they're they're going to be so different from what we just saw. And what we saw was pretty good. They were flying around. You could tell that they were in lockstep. We talked about, early I talked about the the duo of Shadur and Dylan Anderson, but then we're forgetting about Travis Hunter, who will be playing both ways. Um, That offense was prolific. I mean, they, if all things go according to plan and they keep the pieces healthy, they will shred teams. And... I always I get skeptical because a spring game is is you against you. You know what you have. You know how to exploit it in theory. So big whoop! You pass for two hundred and thirty four yards and a couple touchdowns. That's nice. What can you do against a national champion uh, defending competitor in TCU? I don't know. But one thing is for sure is that provided so much of a jump start to this new calendar in this new schedule for Colorado. So I think everything they possibly could have wanted to go well and to be an effect that was had on that campus was had. There were people who came in from all over America. There were celebrities there. I mean, it was a big deal. And we're not familiar with talking about Colorado um, and Boulder, Colorado in this type of big deal. It just doesn't happen. But now it's going to. Yeah, uh, real quickly before we move on to the next topic, what do you think uh, the expectation for Deion Sanders should be in year one? Like, a bowl game. Bowl game. A bowl game. Yeah, yeah I mean, if, if you... Now, here's the issue. I, being a 20-year-old college student... I'm not 20 yet. I'll be 20 in two days. Uh, a 19-year-old college student, I think it's fair for me to be rational and not bash this team into the ground. But the thing is, the national pundits are going to say, because it's already happened, they're going to say 8-4 and or better, or it's a failed year. See, yeah, I don't know if I'd agree with that, because you're taking over a 1-11 football team. I think if you make a bowl game go 6-6, and you're on the right track. They, and this isn't a joke, they made... And I, when I say they, I mean the broadcast crew who was on site for the spring game, made it evident through statistical analysis and breakdown of the prior year that Colorado was arguably the worst Power 5 team ever last year. Really? Yes. Their one win was like an overtime win over Cal, so they were like an overtime loss away. From being owned twelve. Yeah, and think about think about what you just said. They beat 
cow 20 to 13 yep. in overtime. <laughs> I mean, really? <laughs> yeah. I mean, they think about it this way handwork. Guess how many points Colorado averaged for the season last year as a team? I'm going to say under 20. Uh, yeah. Is it like 17? 11. 11? <laughs> oh, my goodness. <laughs> like, really? I mean, wow. what? And so you're going from that to presumably making a bowl. And there is a threshold, and this is interesting. There is a threshold of teams in the Pac-12 they cannot beat. That's true. That's a hard line. There are teams that I will go out there and say they will not beat in year one. Now, of course, scheduling-wise, they don't play a couple of them, so it gets a little bit sweeter in terms of a, a package deal, but I would say it's reasonable that they win six or seven games. Yeah. And that's where we are. Yeah, I'd agree with that. We're going to move on to Bryce Young and uh, the NFL drafts tomorrow. Uh, many across the league believe that Bryce Young will be the number one selection in the draft to the Carolina Panthers. Uh, Bryce Young has canceled all of his pre-draft meetings, so many believe this is because he will be the number one overall pick. So what do you think of this? Will Bryce Young go number one, and what can he do in the pros? Well, have you seen the movie Draft Day? I've seen bits and pieces of it. Okay, yeah. So it it's good. It's a Kevin Costner movie with yep. Jennifer Garner and it's a good story, but that that is not the point. That's far from the point. The point, the reason I bring that up is there was a quarterback in there who was alleged to go number 1 from Wisconsin. His name's Bo Callahan. Now, Callahan was rated as a transcendent prospect the highest sought-after prospect that that fictional world in Cleveland, Ohio, because all of these people were in operation with the Browns. And basically, it was said that Callahan would have been revolutionary to the franchise and he was everything, and, you know, that just sets the scene. But what happened was Cleveland did, and, and Costner, who was playing the GM, did everything in their power to investigate Callahan and found out that he had an issue getting along with teammates. And it was a historical issue. It had taken place over years. Um, and they ended up passing on him. And it was funny because he turned out to be a bust. And so they were proven right. Um, that isn't to say that Bryce Young is that, right? I mean, you would think in this day and age with everything we have socially and the culture that we've built around picking guys like this, that, um, that he will or, or would have been revealed if he had an issue. But the race is on to figure out if he has anything to be concerned about. If the worst thing that can be said about him to this point, and we're two days out or one day out now, yep. um, is that he has small hands. The same thing was said about Burrow. Same thing was said about Kenny Pickett, too. Well, but what has Pickett done in the yeah. league? So I'm not sure that's a valid point. Yeah. All due respect to you. He, has, he had a good start 
for his rookie year. So well, yeah, okay, it wasn't that good. But yeah, I mean, Burrow is a Super Bowl guy. That's amazing, right? So anyway, that too is not the point. The point is what any of the top three teams are doing now is figuring out if there is any issue with who they're imagining to take. And I can't help but think that if he canceled his pre-draft workouts, it's because somebody in the organization with the number one pick said, we are going to take you. That's kind of the end of the line. That's all I foresee here. I don't necessarily like anything else in terms of the way it could shake out or the way it could happen. It's like if he's done meeting with teams, he probably knows. But what's interesting is the rest of the world, and Rich Eisen spoke about this yesterday on his show. He said, this is the first time in a long time where we legitimately don't know because none of the franchises have come out and said it. It hasn't been leaked. It hasn't been reported on. It's just kind of sitting here. And he said, let's keep it that way. Because I, for one, and I'm not saying me, but Rich, he said, I like to keep the integrity of the draft. I will sit there and watch the first round if I don't know what's going to happen. And right now, we don't know. Yeah, I would guess that given what we saw with Young saying at off with everybody else, he is going first overall. Yeah. I agree. I think it's Bryce Young one. I'd probably say CJ Stroud two, uh, to the Texans, but the rest of that I have no idea. You just I don't know. And when you look back at past mock drafts, at least the first round, it's like you have like only a couple of them, a couple of those picks that end up being right. Like, you just don't know. But it's always usually a guarantee that one, two, maybe three are going to be in line with the mock draft. So I I do believe Bryce Young will go number one tomorrow. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if he doesn't. I wouldn't be surprised if the Panthers say, hey, we're going to pick C.J. Stroud, and that ends up happening. But as of right now, I think it's Bryce Young. Let me ask you something. How many quarterbacks does Houston have on their roster right now? Oh, my goodness. <laughs> Three. Lower. Two. Lower. One. Mm-hmm. And who is it? Who was their quarterback last year? <laughs> Isn't that, uh, I might be totally off on this, but wasn't it that Davis Mills guy? Uh-huh. Yep. Mm-hmm. So they're taking a quarterback. The lone quarterback on their 53-man roster Actually, it's more than that right now. Whatever it is, their total roster, the lone quarterback is Davis Mills. And this is a franchise that's three years removed from Deshaun Watson running their offense, who many thought of as a generational quarterback, and now he's taken a step back. Obviously, there are elements at play there that are out of anyone's control other than his um, issues he's run into. But Houston's taking one. You would think Carolina's going to take one because they were said to be in quarterback chaos since 2018. So 
we know that the first two picks are going to be quarterbacks. Yep. <laughs> Presumably. Yep. But we don't know which order yet. Yep. We just don't know um, three through the rest of the first round. We just don't know. There's a lot of def- guys on defense there that could jump. Like J- I know Jalen Carter, he's gotten all that trouble, and many are saying he could go down a lot. And yeah. There could yeah. be a team, like he could maybe even go outside the top 10, some are saying. Yes. And he could be sitting there like at 13, mm-hmm. like not being taken yet. Mm-hmm. So we'll just have to wait and see for tomorrow night. And you know what's funny? The, this is the one thing that I heard that I'm very intrigued by, which I, I'm not typically a draft junkie. But <laughs> Neither am I. when I heard this, I went, oh, that's kind of good, actually. They're saying that the most likely team to reach on a pick, which when we say reach, what we mean is taking a, a pick that otherwise is thought to be taken much lower. So what's being said by the national media is that the most likely team to reach in the top five for or top ten for a player that may not even be a potential first rounder is the Raiders again. Do you remember Clellan Farrell? I do remember that guy. He was taken fourth by the Raiders. Where is he now? Couldn't tell you. Nor could I. Under a rock somewhere, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> but that would be interesting. So it, there is still excitement around this draft, and that's a good thing. I really yeah. I do believe that's a good thing. Yeah, it's good. It should be an exciting night tomorrow night, and uh, we'll just have to wait and see what happens. Uh, we're going to move on to our third topic. It's Hunter Dickinson transfer news. Hunter Dickinson recently had a meeting with the Kentucky Wildcats. Uh, they're looking to... Uh, be one of the favorites to land the former Michigan uh, big man. According to Hunter Dickinson, uh, he went on the Round Ball podcast last week. Uh, Coach Calipari came to Michigan to visit with Hunter Dickinson about possibly joining the Wildcats. Uh, Maryland, Georgetown, and Arkansas are among the many schools that are also in the running for uh, Hunter Dickinson. Uh, where do you see Hunter Dickinson landing and why? Um. Well, I, I think... If I'm going to fully answer this question, which I can't right now, uh, well, I take that back. I will fully answer it, but I shouldn't be able to. And the reason is we haven't seen him visit everywhere that presumably he's going to by the time he decides. We just know a couple of them. Like, is Duke out? Is Kansas out, right? Is Syracuse even out? No. None of these schools have been ruled out of the running. But I think, based off everything I've seen, it's likely, maybe, that he goes to Georgetown. I agree. I And I think, I think Kentucky is close. I think that how can you say no to Cal? Yep. Uh, and especially too, I'm intrigued by by what you just said here at the outset of this this um, segment, because Calipari came here to visit him. That's something else. I didn't think that would happen. I when I read into it, I thought he was going to Lexington to to see what UK had to offer. But 
I think it's Georgetown, and I think it's Georgetown because of Ed Cooley, uh, because of the D.C. connection, the proximity that he is there. I think Maryland's interesting because multiple of their coaches over there are related to his high school, uh, DeMatha Catholic, yep. over there. Close to home, too. Yeah. Actually, I just I thought about this uh, right now. There's There's a head coach in Oregon High School basketball who just left his school from Lake Oswego, Marshall Show. He was at DeMatha when Dickinson was there. So I wonder, I'm not saying he knows anything, but I might at, reach out to Marshall and see what his opinion is uh, because I, I think he knows Dickinson well enough. And uh, But yeah, I, I think, you know, Forget for a second about the NIL stuff and everything that it has to offer. It's still true that an important factor, multiple important factors to transferring, are A, what the school has to offer you in terms of academics, B, how much familial support you have, and C what it looks like in terms of how you integrate into the system. And I think he would be really good in Kentucky. I do. I think that he would be the centerpiece at Georgetown to build a program around, especially with a new coach. And I also think that his game clearly fits in the Big Ten, which makes sense for Maryland as well. So, And I'm not going to rule out yet the chance that he could move nowhere (laughs) he could stay and uh that would be something especially with the addition of caleb love yeah so that would turn into something i think Mm -hmm. if michigan were to somehow hold him yeah remember in that north carolina michigan game uh caleb love and hunter dickinson got in a little of a scuffle yeah 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 but and and so i like what you said there because that is two competitive guys with a fiery spirit who are getting after it. Yeah. And that's how we should see it. Mm-hmm. But people like to blow it out of proportion. I think if they were to team up, they would settle that down, yep. hopefully, and figure it out. Yeah. They're two grown men. That could work. Um, That could. But the issue that I would have with that is, is the leadership of Howard good enough to stave yeah. off the issues. Yeah. I don't know. I don't I don't even think it is. I mean, I think Jawan Howard is in a lot of trouble right now. He's got a big year ahead of him. But if you have the addition of Caleb Love and Hunter Dickinson and you can get all this nonsense that Jawan Howard has been dealing with and just put it aside and they can become leaders, this that could really help salvage the, this helm of Jawan Howard and the I don't want to say the disaster that it's been so far. No, it hasn't. It's how, just how been, could it be a disaster? Yeah, I mean, you go to the mm. Elite Eight, yeah. you go to a Sweet Sixteen, but it's been tumultuous. I just say kind of inconsistent. Yeah, yeah. Yep. Um, you've had a number of different incidents. You've had the the slap. You've had the Wisconsin stuff. I mean, it's just been a lot of extracurricular things that are totally unnecessary, but if you can get that under control and Caleb Love and Hunter Dickinson, they can play well together. Uh, you have, I think you have Reed and McDaniel coming back as well. Those are two really nice players, very talented players. 
Um, that could really help this Michigan team turn it around and maybe uh, get back to the uh, NCAA tournament. But in terms of where I think he can go, I think Georgetown's good with Ed Cooley. Um, the possibility of going cl- close to home. You mentioned Maryland as well. You have uh, former coaches from his high school there. Um, and also close to home as well. And how about Arkansas? It seems like Eric Musselman is always working in the portal. Whenever a guy announces that he's going into the transfer portal, it always seems like Eric Musselman is the first guy that's making a call. So I could totally see that as well. Arkansas is actually one of my sleepers to go to the Final Four next year just because of that reason of how they like to work in the transfer portal. And we saw that with a lot of the teams this year. They uh, work to the transfer portal uh, in the off season, and they ended up in the Final Four. So Arkansas, I think, would love to have them. And, um, yeah, that's all I think a lot of good options that Hunter Dickinson could choose from. Yes. Yeah. And you know what? It's really hard not to have that many options that are that good. They're, like, what we talked about for a few weeks at the end of the season in that there is a less, there is a smaller difference competitively across the landscape of college basketball. That is every bit of a reason to consider anywhere you might want to go. Because these places that are traditionally thought of as lesser are now on an even playing field, mm-hmm. almost. So it's interesting to see. I mean, it no matter... Uh, or no longer, I should say, matters geographically. It doesn't matter financially necessarily. It doesn't matter who the coaches are. There's just so it's a it's a equilibrium that we're starting to reach in terms of talent and in terms of want to win, and uh, it's going to be good. Yeah, I agree. Should be interesting to see uh, where Hunter Dickinson goes, what he decides. He could very well go back to Michigan, or he could be on the move as well. We'll just have to uh, wait and see. We're going to move on to our final topic, and is is the uh, Michigan State quarterback competition. So with almost two weeks removed from the spring game, many believe that Payne Thorn will beat out Noah Kim and Caden Hauser for the starting quarterback job. Sam Levitt has yet to arrive on campus, and many believe he is the real deal and could get Foreign a run for his money for the starting quarterback job. So, my question to you is, should Foreign start the year as starting quarterback for the Spartans, and does he keep that job? I don't like the should and shouldn'ts um, that we, the media, tend to speak on. Yes, I agree. I know that, well, you say you agree, but you just asked one again. (laughs) I did. Again. (laughs) Never mind that. Thorne is 16 and 10 in his career. He has 861 passing attempts that he's taken. You ready for this? Yep. Neither Kim nor Hauser have started a collegiate game. And the pair of those two have combined for 21 pass attempts. 19 from Noah Kim and 2 from Cadden Hauser. And I think that if you're Michigan State, coming off of a 
truly, truly forgettable year and looking to make a move or a big splash, maybe you want to go in a different direction, which could be Kim or Hauser or my man, Samuel L. Not Jackson, though. He's different. No. Uh, that's a conversation for a different day. I'll, I'll table the Levitt conversation for now, even though I don't want to. Okay. Thorne uh, is said to have had the most competitive spirit, the best poise and command of the offense so far through spring practice, which is now over. Johnson said that he is at a level of knowing the ins and outs of everything that we're doing from the O-line and beyond, that piece is good. That was a quote from Jay Johnson. And uh, the focus, so they say, has been on technique and fundamentals. And everything that I've seen says he's been praised for doing what he is doing. And... um, the thought is that Thorne isn't disgruntled and doesn't have a bad attitude, even though he's being battle-tested against these other two inexperienced guys, which is a good thing. I think, I think it really is. I think that when you're trying to jumpstart an offense and a team, competition is the best way to do it and the most organic way to do it. You're weeding out who isn't worthy. And so if we're seeing that Thorn so far is the guy that's wanted, okay. I'm no one to go against that. But I think Levitt needs to have his chance. I think that that Kim needs to have his chance. And I think Kattenhauser has to have his chance because many people around here have said that any one of those three could start. They could. Now, will they? I don't think so. And I think it's a matter now of job security for Mel Tucker and the rest of the staff. Yep. And can't go five and seven again. Well, you can't. But here's another thing you can't do you can't have another quarterback take over. Okay. Different from Thorne, after riding him pretty hard the last two years. You can't have another one take over and then have the offense fail and sputter again. That's death. Even if you win some games. Even if you win some games and they are the offense, that unit, is not excellent. That's death. Because people never stop asking questions. And the first question will be, why isn't your tried and true signal caller on the field? And I don't know if a staff that is underwater at this point, that's growing deeper by the day, it feels like, um, will want to endure that, the conversation um, about that. So I think... The narrative that they need to hold on to as much life as they have left 
leads me to believe that Thorne will be it. And then you look to adjust elsewhere. And that's what I can say about it for right now. Yeah. That's just what I believe. But I think there's a chance the narrative and conversation shifts again when Levitt makes it to campus. He's still, of course, at Westland High School. He's still getting it done. I've seen a lot of stuff on his social media that has shown he's in the PT room. He's training. He's throwing. He's lifting. He's doing the right things. Oh, and by the way, his family is NFL caliber. His brother is a safety for the Packers and has played for the Raiders. Yeah. Special teams guy in safety. Yeah. It's got to make you think that eventually he is going to start for Michigan State. Yeah. Yeah, it does. Um, and whether it be this year or not, he might as well be allowed to try. Yeah. Because you never know what you can find. I mean, right now, um, there's kind of a, a, a mound of garbage building. And I hate to say this, but it's true. There's kind of a, a mound of, of stuff, of trash, under center. And you might find a diamond under all that. Mm-hmm. If you really look deep and we're s- sitting here in April speaking about something that won't have any sense of until maybe August. Yep. August, but, September. Yeah. But the spring game happened. We know that. We know that Thorne was the leader there. And for now, there's nothing more to say. Yeah. It's just. For me, it's just so hard to predict. Um, you've got to believe that Thorne's going to be the starter. Um, yes, he had a little bit of a regression, but 2021 he was really good. He had the most um, touchdown passes, I believe, in a single season yeah. in Michigan State football history. Yeah, That's more I mean, than Connor Cook. That's more than Kirk Cousins. No, think about it this way. His touchdown to interception was 27-10. Yeah. And which is 2.7 touchdowns per interception. I wouldn't complain about that. I surely wouldn't. I mean, he was what he was needed to be under that condition. Can he get back to that is what the concern is. And that's kind of what the race is on to figure out. But uh, here's the other thing. Word has come out that Peyton Thorne was injured yep. the entirety of the year, his junior campaign. Yep, after the Western Michigan game. So what does that mean? My question is, if you knew he was injured, why are you playing him? Why don't you go to Noah Kim, who actually looked pretty good in that Akron game? Not going to lie, he looked pretty good. So why you help? Peyton Thorne to heal for a couple of weeks if that if it was really that bad and you just go to Noah Kim like could that really I mean we'll never know but maybe that could have turned to your season around that year yeah yeah and these are the type of questions we will never know yeah and it's almost not worth it to speculate but it is <laughs> never a, is it is a well you're right yeah. it never is it is though an interesting thought and I wonder because a major deal with that kind of coincided with the inability to run the football because 
we averaged something like 117 yards per game on the ground yep. last year. Coming off of a year where we averaged 176. So the run game took a dive. But coinciding with the inability to run the football, Thorne couldn't escape, couldn't roll out, couldn't evade pressure, and would take a seat in yeah. the pocket. He just looked like a different quarterback. He just didn't look right. So is that a byproduct of the injury? Maybe there's a confidence thing going on there. Yep. Maybe there's a, a physical thing going on there. Maybe it's a mechanical thing. And we'll never know. Yep. But the conversation this year is looking a lot like it did going into the year where we won 11 games. That's all I'm going to say. Are you talking about 21? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I, I feel like the narrative at the quarterback position looks similar to what it did before he was excellent. So, who knows? What was it before 21? It was Peyton Torn, and who was the other guy? Um was the Temple guy, right? Oh, Anthony Russo. Yeah, him. You're right. Yeah. You're right. Yeah, yeah. I remember that. Wow, that's hilarious. That We had to pull that one out. That was crazy. Yeah. But yes, it was Russo. Good call. I'm proud of you for that. <laughs> Thank you. No, everybody everybody there said he had a major deep ball. Over foreign, right? Yeah. Yeah, and, and that, it just never happened. No, no. He didn't play much at all. Yeah, I didn't remember him at all either. No, he got in. Yeah. But few times. Yeah, very few. few. times. Limited situations. But, yeah, man, the narrative looks a lot to me like it did at that time. Yeah. That doesn't translate to anything, unless it does. Yeah, I got to believe that Foreign's going to bounce back. Um, I think the first two games are going to tell the story, and then I think week three when they play Washington, that's going to set the tone for the season, and if Warren does really poorly that game, then this is maybe a conversation that we would need to have on whether it's time to make the switch or not. Why do you think it's fair that the first two games would quote-unquote tell the story? Because they surely didn't tell the story about last year. It was game three. Yeah. Let me rephrase that. Like, yeah, yeah, I know what you're trying to say. But. I, I think the first two games are going to be foreign, and I think he'll I, – I just don't know, man. I mean, I think he'll look good, but it's going to be week three where we really know right. if this because thing is for real. Washington's coming here, yeah, and that team is poised and ready to win the Pac-12. Yeah, and they got panics coming back, and we don't we have no idea how – the secondary is going to look yet for Michigan State, so I won't get into that. Nope. But it's just going to be up up to the offense. How's the offense going to look against a Washington team? Uh-huh. Yeah. Because it looked like nothing. Last year. In Seattle yeah. last year uh, until the th- middle of the third quarter. And then Keon went crazy, mm-hmm. uh, which was cool to see, but... Very cool. Yeah. I mean, though, it was abysmal for the first half at the very least. But, no, um, we'll know. But it's just a matter of when. Yep. And I think, unfortunately, with those two games scheduled the way they are, with Central and Richmond, it's a little bit of a smokescreen 
And that's concerning because what we can't do as fans and patrons of the team and the game can't say, oh, well, we cleared Central, we're good. Oh, we beat Richmond by 40, we're yeah, good. because that's the exact same thing we did last year when we beat Western and Akron. We were up to 11th in the country. Yep. And went into Seattle and just got mowed over. Yep. And it never recovered. It never recovered. So we need to wait on this one until week three. Yeah, the Washington game is going to tell the story of the entire season. That's everything. If they win that game, you're looking at a nine-win football team or maybe eight. You're looking at losses maybe to like Michigan, Ohio State, Penn State. If you beat Washington, if you lose, you're looking at hopefully a seven and five football you're, team. You're looking at hold on for dear freaking life yep. because you don't know. Yeah. There's a lot of games on Michigan State's schedule next year where you just don't know. Like there could be a game next year where you're like they go on the road, I think, to Minnesota or Nebraska at home. Like you have, you say, yeah, they're going to win that game, but they could totally lose it. We just don't know. It's going to be the most um, intriguing, I'd say, off-seasons in uh, Michigan State football history um, this off-season. Yes. To say the least. Yes. Yeah. We got a long way to go and a short time to get the – not really. We have four months still. Yeah. But that's what we got cooking. Yeah. Interesting stuff, to say the least. We'll just have to wait and see. Yeah. And that is all for Hedging the Bet. Uh, we hope to catch you next time. Thanks for listening, guys. Yeah. That is all from the Impact Sports Studio. You can catch us live Wednesdays at 3 p.m. on 88.9 The Impact for more collegiate sports betting analysis.